and welcome to episode 225 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the actress Terry Dwyer. Yes, you'll know her from many years ago in the amazing TV show Hollyoaks. I hear you right now saying, amazing, Hollyoaks isn't amazing. But as a teenager, do you know what? The drama, the crazy storylines and everything that went with it kept me gripped and I used to love it, so I don't care. Honestly, I thought it was brilliant. But on today's interview, we also get to talk all about her brand new film, which she not only stars in, but is the producer. And this film is called The Stranger in Our Bed. It's out right now and is an amazing thriller. And honestly, I urge you all to go and check it out. During this interview, we get to talk all about the background of Terry, how she got into acting, how her career's gone, and the world of producing, and how much she's absolutely loving life with it right now. It's a great interview, and we'll be coming up in just a couple of moments' time. But you know the score by now, on each and every episode of Mark and Me, I always love to use the intro to touch base and talk about my last episode. It was only out a few days ago, but I got to sit down and welcome back the amazing Neil Marshall. For me, one of the best horror directors out there, we got to touch base and talk all about the amazing Dog Soldiers. That was the main focus of the episode because Neil has been on twice before and it was so good to catch up. The response was amazing and I really appreciate Neil coming back on. So thanks to everyone who took the time and listened and the feedback has been absolutely amazing. But today it's all about Terry Dwyer and for me this is a great interview. It gets deep, we get really heavy, but honestly it's fantastic, it's real and it's raw. So here's me and Terry talking all things film. So Terry, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Well thank you for having me. Terry, what I want to do today for anyone that's tuning in is take it right back to the very start. So, Oh, now you're <laughs> going to make me feel old. Yeah, you? proper nostalgia trip. But talk to me when you were growing up as a kid. Can you remember maybe the first TV shows you watched or films that made you feel that you would love to try and put your heart into acting? Um, do you know what? No. And I'll tell you the reason why. Because I didn't really come from a family or a school where the arts were very accessible I guess yeah um, the first tv show I remember and I don't know whether it's because it's been in the press lately is Neighbours oh wow yeah and and I remember kind of the the and the you know the Kylie and the Jason and I just remember what a fabulous life they looked like they led um but I, retrospectively looking back now I'm kind of a bit sad that I didn't know that the world of arts really was out there because for quite a long time, I guess I felt underqualified and I've really, really had to learn the hard way. Um, But then the juxtaposition of that is, I think perhaps I'm a person that learns better the hard way. (laughs) You know, I think sometimes to learn from the ground up, it really gets it into your head. So. Despite what I've just said, I don't think I would have liked to have had another journey. No, that's understandable. And sometimes I think building those foundations from scratch is, okay, it might be tough, but then the payoff when it finally comes is worth it. Well, I remember when I was in Hollyoaks, oh my God, Mark, I just kept thinking every Friday when I saw Phil Redmond, he might just tell me it was all a terrible joke and that he was backing <laughs> me. And then I remember I got this oh my God, I got this letter from him after about a year. And and I was shocking for a really, really long time, but he obviously saw something in me. And he said, um, 
Terry, thank you for all the hard work you've been doing, because we were doing Hollyoaks late, late at the time, so I was working ridiculous hours. He said, we're in danger of seeing a real actress, like I knew we would. So only Phil Redmond can give you a backhanded compliment like that. I love it. <laughs> Yeah. And then, I mean, when you got into Hollyoaks at the time, I remember myself growing up and watching it and being, you know, I'd get home from school or college. And then I remember that do, 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 on I Channel know. 4 and I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> and it must have felt incredible because at that time it was up there with the Coronation Streets, with the EastEnders. It was that soap that everyone loved to watch and talk about the next day at school or college. Well, you obviously missed the beginning bit where they slagged us off something <laughs> Because when we first came on, I think Phil had this idea of being a bit Beverly 90210, you know, the kind of the glamour, the glitz, the this and the that. But that's not what the British audience wants. So all of a sudden we did quite a U-turn and then there was, you know, sexual encounters and it, murder and this and that. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think back in those days, gosh, that just makes me sound like really old. We were really, really protected for two reasons. First of all, because we shot in Liverpool. Yeah. So, we, you know, the pack weren't really very rife up there, but also we never really had the social media in the way that we do now. No. So they only were exposed to us when we were on the red carpet or we were down there partying. Or, so I think... I think we were able to have a really, really different experience. Um, yeah, it, it it was just this phenomenon that people were obsessed with. And I think the extreme storylines where they, you're so brave to go that extra mile where EastEnders and other stuff would play it quite safe. You would just go completely extreme. And in two episodes, you could have someone murdered and a divorce <laughs> and a baby born all in like an hour. But it was gripping. I, I think it must have been looking back. You must have really fond memories of that time. I did. And, and you know what? I made some of the best friends and we're still really good friends today. You know, Jez Edwards, I went to see him in his play recently. Mackay, he obviously played my husband. Yeah. Michaela, um, who plays Chloe, is one of my best friends. And then we call ourselves the older lot, which is all the original <laughs> gang. You know, we're still really, really in touch. And I think it's because, as I mentioned earlier about those really tough days, when we didn't even really know if we were going to be recommission never mind keeping our job and I think we all became such a tight unit because it was we were almost just in it together and yeah. it was us against you know the tidal wave of criticism that started at the beginning and I just think it really kind of cemented our friendships and our life experiences I mean I grew up with these people in front of the camera um but to answer your question, although my answer is very, very long, um, I do have fond memories. But the reason I left when I did is because I always wanted to leave still loving the show. Yeah. And when you work the kind of hours that we worked, it's quite easy to get into that kind of, oh, I'm tired, and forget that actually what we've been given is an absolute gift and we're living the dream and we should all just be eternally grateful. But when you work long hours and you don't see the daylight, sometimes you lose track of that. And that's why I left when I did, because I just caught myself. I think I was doing another publicity through my lunch hour and working another weekend on pickups. And I started to catch myself going, oh, I'm really tired. And I thought, no, this isn't me. This isn't 
and, and I really left loving it, loving the people, loving the experience and, and being able to speak about it as fondly as I can now. I mean, I owe an awful lot to Hollyoaks. I think, I think that's really brave because some people kind of just get comfortable and know that they can stay in a role and can play it out year after year and just become the same character but just live off that wage but you were obviously going out at a high which is brave but also very respectable because like you said you've just had that kind of inkling that it was coming and you were starting to get the itch of oh I don't know if I want it but not many people are going to have the kind of strength or mindset to go do you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna walk away and keep it as a positive thing because you don't realize until afterwards sometimes that it was a mistake leaving no well it it was funny you should say that because there's two schools of thought in my head in my darkest moments when I thought I'm never going to be employed again and I think it you know oh my god was that the worst decision I've ever made but then the reality is you know I lost my mum when I was 22 I lost my dad at 30. I was in a car crash at 18. Really, from quite a young age, I really know the value of life. And and I don't say that frivolously or flippantly. I think when you are exposed to death at quite a young age, you realise this really isn't a rehearsal. And and that cliche that we're told over and over again is not a cliche. And we really are the masters of our own destiny. we absolutely have to make each day count. Yeah. And even though I'm saying it, I still have to remind myself, even now, sometimes I fall into those pit holes of, you know, the daily, the daily stresses, thinking, what am I doing? Why, why, do, why do I really stress myself about this? It's, you know, the, the biggest, grander scheme things, it's, it's not what I should be stressing myself about. Um, so I'm trying to kind of give your listeners some nuggets of things that I've learned at my ripe old age, but with a caveat of saying, I still have to remind myself. <laughs> I, I agree. And I think what's really interesting then, and it was kind of hitting home as you were giving that answer is I've just reached 40. And what I've realized now is how much of a difference there is in only five years, five years ago, I would never have the strength mentally to say to someone, I don't want to come to your party because I didn't want to upset them or let them down. Yeah. I'm now at the point where if I don't want to do something and I would rather be at home, you know, with my family or go for a walk with my dogs, I will do that for me. I won't keep trying to please everyone because you can never please anyone. And what you're saying there really does hit home because I don't know what it is about this age. I can just see a massive change. And I think to myself, will I be thinking this again in five years about the stuff I'm doing now? But I like the fact that I can be myself more and make sure that I take my own time on what I want to do and don't take things for granted. Okay. Well, somebody who's a bit older than you, I can say you won't, you just get a lot more tougher at that. So I don't look back and regret what I was doing at 40, but because time goes by so quickly, every, every five years seems to be quicker than the last five years. And all of a sudden you stop and think I've really, and I'm, I'm having it already just this year thinking, okay, I only have enough hours in a day. I'm trying to build a successful company. I, you know, I've had a career change nearing 50 and 
I really want to make time for the people that make the time for me, not people that just give me a bit of lip service to keep me happy, because actually words are cheap and you're, you're, you know, kind of that will really resonate with you as well. It's really for people that do, like Michaela, come up from London with her young family on Boxing Day because she, we may not have seen each other for six months or I will fly over to to Italy to see her and her mum because which I'm planning on doing in September it's really about those people that don't just talk the talk but they walk the walk and and your that inner circle gets smaller but so much more beautiful and fulfilling and and then just to throw something else in the mix when because I've never really apart from Hollyoaks I've never really works full time in the way that I have now I am now because it's yeah. an action you are full time then you get loads of time off and then you're full time and since setting up Buffalo Dragon I have been full time six days sometimes seven your weekends and your downtime or any spare time just becomes so precious that you really only can spend it with time time with people that a are as good a friend as you are and also that make you feel I did, you shouldn't just be with people because they always make you feel good about yourself because there's a couple of my friends that are going through terrible times at the moment and I'm there for them. It's not about that. What I mean when I say that is not the people that question something I did or I come away from them feeling shit about myself because of some subtext that they may have had behind words that they've said. And I've got a lot better at being with people that really have... A, a goodness in their heart and, and only the best interests of the people that they love around them and I've got a lot better at not being with people that when I walk away I feel really rubbish about myself because that's not good for me and it's not good for people around me and I don't know why people do that I don't if you're with a really really good friend I don't know about you Mark but I come away thinking like I can take on the world because yeah. I feel respected I feel loved I feel like we share we, we, we share common ground and co common foundations and, and they've got my back and I've got their back. And, and you really feel like you could take on the world as opposed to the antithesis of that. And I've, I've tried to and I'm trying to really be mindful of people that are in my life that, uh, that are always negative and always sit on glasses half empty. And But like I say, just to caveat that, my friends are allowed to go through difficult Of course, stuff. yeah. You know, and, and I love being there for them and being the voice of reason. It's just those people that are just not good for my soul. They might be good for somebody else's, but sometimes you're a square peg and they're a round one and you just have to accept that. I think I was, it's, it's really strange hearing you talk out loud because it's like you're inside my head. But um, <laughs> genuinely, I used to worry about not being popular enough. So I'd want 50 friends. I'd want 100 people. Yeah. And now I can count on my hands the actual sincere, genuine friends that have a healthy balance. So it's not always if I don't text them or reach out to them, you know, yeah. I will not hear from them for a year or two. But those friends that it's a good, healthy balance. And like I said, I would rather have 10 of those people in my life than 200. Let's go for a beer. And then you chat and it kind of doesn't mean anything. And then you don't see them again. And but they feel like 200, though. You might only have those 10. Yeah, but that's a really good point. You them, your heart feels like you've had the experiences of 200 people because they are they are your tribe. They are the right people that fill your your your, you know, your your body full of the life and and experiences that you want. So 
I think it's really it's really important to be honest about what you need as a human being and what you can give other people. Yeah, I love it. And uh, I didn't think the chat would go this way. And I think people... No, me will be, neither, uh, but I'm loving I, it. I, I do. Really, it's good. Agony arts in the papers. Should we take some calls? I know. It's, uh, I think, like, what people will be listening to today is saying, do you know what? Like, that's really hitting home. I think some people are scared to say no to going out somewhere or letting someone down or just they just want that popularity of having all these likes or popularity of so many friends on your social media networks. But if you actually just aren't afraid to just trim and get it down to a healthy number, like you said, it can feel more worthwhile than a stadium full of people if it's the right people. It's interesting you said that about social media because I have a slightly different thought on that and because I read something and I think it was Ed Sheeran. And he was saying, you know, all people do is that they brag about all the good times and it should only be used for work. Now, forgive me, Ed, if I've misquoted you, but I think that was the general you know, gist of it. Now, I disagree because I, I love seeing people's photos. I love those friends that I love and I haven't been able to share that holiday or, or like Michaela, who I've just mentioned, see her children as often. So I... I think social media has a place. I think it is a place to let people know about your work. And I know they called Facebook face brag, but it's not it's not like that. I think for me, I want to share positivity. What I don't put on it is my political views. No. If I'm feeling negative or my personal woes, because that's how I choose to conduct my page. It doesn't mean to say I judge other people for doing it. It's up to them what they do. And the only criticism I would have of it is... Why does everybody have to criticise the way other people conduct themselves? You don't like it and follow them, but don't, yeah. don't chastise people for showing the best sides of their life or showing that they've had a fantastic holiday. Or, And I think, I think we all just have to be a lot bloody kinder with each other. What's this bitchiness all about? The, it's like the world is so angry at the moment. They just want to find something yeah like, it is and it's what what i find is really interesting at the moment is it's cool to hate stuff so oh. before a film has come out onto netflix or an amazon prime exclusive tv series it's cool to say this is the worst bag of shit i've ever seen and it hasn't really? even aired if you go on twitter you will see a lot of people always they're so so quick to basically say this is the worst work they've ever done or oh my oh. god this is terrible and it's not even being out it's the cool thing to try and have that different opinion and just not celebrate something that is so successful or so good you it's like someone just has to try and be different and say oh no it's crap just to try and well, get, you know I, a you response know, I, I, that trend has got to change because with you know not getting into politics or the way the world is because you know we're having a lovely conversation but there's enough things in the world to be angry about to I mean maybe they're doing it to try and garner some press I don't know but that seems really reverse psychology to me and I'm quite sad that that's that's going on when there's actually really a lot to be grateful for waking up in the morning for one and being able to take a bloody breath yeah you know? That is something to be very grateful for. I just think we all need to be so much kinder to each other. You know, I posted something on my social media, honestly, Mark, and I'm not somebody that boos. I cried reading it. It was about this little girl and she'd written to God. Now, whether you believe him or not, you know, that's your own private yeah. thing. 
but her dog had died and she wrote to him and she just said, oh, my, you know, my dog's dead. I'm really, really sad. Please, can you look after it? And her and her mum put it in the letterbox. They received a letter from God and, and, and she put a photograph in it. It's given me goose pimples even thinking about it. So somebody in that postal office has read that letter and has had the beautiful nature to return it with the photograph and say, I have your dog. She is really, really oh, happy. Oh, that's beautiful. But we have no we have no pockets in heaven. And so I'm going to send you the photograph back so you can put it in your pocket. Oh my gosh, isn't that lovely? That's it's amazing. It restores my faith in humanity. I know, I know. And I shared it and I was like, this has just made me cry. Because I just think we need a lot more of that. There it's are true. good in the world. And if we stop making it our daily commitment to find the bagged or be negative and we we look hard enough you'll find all these beautiful good souls and i'm not necessarily talking about religious people i'm just talking about good, good deeds and good people yeah good deeds. yeah we should do one good deed today maybe that will help that's it just one and then if everyone one. does it it adds up it's got to surely it's got to help a bit <laughs> so at the moment obviously you're doing a lot of press for your new title uh the stranger in my bed now yeah. This um, for you is a big step because obviously uh, it's, it was shot in quite a short amount of time. Uh, you got to work mm-hmm. with an amazing set of actors, actresses, uh, producers, directors. And I believe you're producing it yourself as well. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yep. I am. So, yep. so how did this project all come about to you? Was it just an idea you had with some other people you've been working with or was it at a production stage that you got involved? Do you know, I, it's a quite a long answer, so bear with me. I, I think I was starting to gravitate to producing. I, I did a play in the West, uh, just in London, and um, you know, and I was seeing final cuts of things and finding myself going, oh, I wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have done it this way. So, I, I and instead of moaning about things, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do something about it. So the first thing I produced was a beautiful play called Revlon Girl. Um, and we tried it out in London and then we did a tour of Wales and, and actually the writer and the then director took it on its own journey, but he ended up being nominated for an Olivier, which was immensely um, incredible for the writer. So I dipped my toes in there and my business partner, Greg Barrow, will tell a very different side to this story because I tell everyone he stalked me for 18 months before I gave <laughs> up and, and, and decided to go into business with him. But um the truth of it is we I met him at the Berlin Film Festival. I was there with another film that the first film I'd actually produced, which was outside of Buffalo Dragon. And we just got on really, really well. And I'd started to kind of start picking up ideas that I had and write things. And then the world went into lockdown and there was absolutely no way we were going to be opening theatres up soon or cinema. And I thought, what am I going to do? I mean, an industry that is closed for the foreseeable and there's no sign of, and I remember really clearly standing by my kitchen window and I happened to speak to Greg on the Friday. He was like, why won't you go into business with me? And and (laughs) you know the truth of it, Mark? I was just scared. (laughs) I was scared of failing. I was, I was, I didn't understand why somebody would want to back me. I didn't know why. And you know, everything I've had in life, Mark, I've had to really fight for. And not to say I didn't fight for this, but, and I, I got absolutely hammered on the Saturday. I was like to my husband, why would anyone want to back me? 
Anyway, you're an idiot. If somebody wants to, what have you got to lose? So on the Monday, I rang him. I said, let's do it. Ten weeks later, we were on set having optioned a US Today best-selling book by the same name, The Stranger in Our Bed, psychological thriller, uh, which is a genre that I knew I loved and would work. And we adapted the book into a screenplay all in those 10 weeks wow. to pre-production. And we were all in lockdown. So we did pre-production on Zoom. It was bonkers. This is amazing. Bonkers. And then, and then we had to put all the COVID protocols in place, which I'd never done before. I mean, looking back, actually, it was pretty bonkers. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I've always been pretty ballsy. And maybe that's because... I've never really gone the traditional route to things. I've always done it the hardest possible route possible. So, and the first two weeks we shot in a manor house. So we kind of used it like a studio. And, um, you know, we had to do loads of COVID tests and we were all living together and working together. But in my head, we'd, we'd then boxed half the film. So when we came to London, we'd already shot half the film. So I felt a little bit less pressure, but it was still really stressful because we didn't really know how it was going to go and London was the hotbed of COVID and a lot of the the services were shut down so we had to be really inventive about how we did catering and props and but you know looking back is probably one of the biggest growths I've had as a producer because yeah. I think out of everything in life when you are hit with the biggest challenges you grow the most and I'm immensely proud of it, immensely proud of what we achieved in such a short time. The first thing that goes through my mind when you're saying all this is maybe the next thing you work on as a producer might seem like an absolute breeze with oh. no COVID and no lockdown and no restrictions of having to do it in 10 days. And Well, I thought that. I thought that. Uh, 10 weeks. <laughs> I thought that. But then we've already shot our second feature film. Um, called Bowling Shoes. And I thought, we're going to prep it to an inch of its life. We know what's coming. Da, da, da. The first day, we our grip got a positive COVID test and we were filming outside, so we were able to ring fence it. But what we didn't factor in is the pandemic. Do you remember at that time where the whole world was getting pinged and then we didn't really know if it was obligatory or not, whether we were losing whole departments oh, daily. No. Honestly, Mark, that film was even harder than Stranger in Our Bed. I'm saying the next film must be... The next be one then. Third time yeah, lucky, yeah. <laughs> but I think this is just producing. I think how independent films get into production is nothing short of a miracle. And I think everybody should be championed for doing it. And may I just send a little message to all those keyboard warriors out there. Please just be mindful of... The difficult journey that a lot of these independents go through to bring it to you before, you know, you, you find it very easy to judge things that may not have been in our control. Um, and that is sometimes what frustrates me, but touch wood, my head profusely. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have been premiering on Showtime ahead of the US release and people have been incredibly generous and kind so far. Let's see what the UK has on store for us on the 5th of September. Fingers are crossed and it's incredible to hear your journey because you've obviously gone from in front of the camera to kind of behind the scenes now. And as a producer, I suppose now you've got this taste for it and as much as it's been challenging, the fact it's now your full time, like you said, you don't get a break. You sound like it's 
I don't know, just talking to you today, you sound like you've never had so much drive and passion for something. And it's it. only the start. Yeah, I, you, funnily enough, I got, sorry, I keep saying funnily enough. It's not really that funny, but um, I was always worried about producing because I thought it would take me away from acting. Um, and I was an actress in Stranger in Our Bed, but that was very difficult doing the two. Um, but I don't think I realised how much I would love producing I'm a doer and as any actor if they're being honest will tell you first of all a lot of acting is entertaining yourself while you're off camera and the most magical bit is when they shout action but that's such a small bit of the acting process and I really do enjoy being responsible for the journey of a film I mean we've got three more that we're out we will be out to finance shortly we've got about eight or nine tv projects that are with various channels I just I wish I'd have known this this job years ago um because I think there's so much more I need to learn I need to work with um producers that are much more experienced than I am I want to work with producers I also want to work with women we I I love it when I walk on set and I'm not a feminist per se um, but I want to caveat what I'm about to say by saying that because I'm a champion of men. I'm a champion of talented people. But our, our industry is still very underserved by females because I think sometimes female technicians, it's quite hard to become a female technician. Yeah. And I, females on mass can get quite a bad name still, you know, for being bitchy or this or that. And my experience in the industry when I've worked, I've gone on set and there's been female technicians. They've been incredible, incredibly talented, incredible drive because they've had to really, really fight for their position. So I'm really keen to work with a female producer and a female line producer, not all female, because I think there's a reason we're a yin and yang. I think we need males as much as males need females. And I think that balance on and off set is really, really important. It's about working with people I want to work with nice people that understand the struggle that we have in independent film it's a very good point and I think I've spoken to quite a few uh, up-and-coming female directors recently on the podcast Mm -hmm. and they're all saying the same so it isn't just Mm -hmm. you and it is the overall kind of uh, vision that everyone's having but I think we are seeing a healthy change and I do believe that the industry is getting better it's not where it needs to be but I have seen over the last five years, especially in the horror community, a lot more female directors and producers really making a name for themselves and standing up for themselves. And it's so positive to see at the film festivals when the red carpet is full of such amazing talent. Yeah, well, we've we've just um, attached uh, a female director to one of our feature films and it's her debut. She, she's directed uh, you know, shorter form content and she's just so exciting and I just, there's something lovely and magical when people are just always on the same page. I think that's when you really can pull together. What I really don't like on set is any egos, any drama. You know, we all work really long hours and, you know, we've got got to have fun. I'm not saying have so much fun that you don't get the job done, but you you want to enjoy your experience and the people that you're working with. And certainly with Stranger and Boland, both of those experiences, although were really, really difficult, they were great fun. We worked with great people and I'm really at Buffalo 
we at Buffalo are really trying to build a family that want to come back and work for us because if the, if the platforms carry on the way they go and we're never going to be able to afford crew never mind you know the the disparity between independent film and what we can afford to pay and what we can't and what the the crew are getting paid by the, the streamers it is it's really difficult to you know not make fee, people feel undervalued which is absolutely not as producers what we want to do but we are working with really restrained budgets it's such a it's such a hard one to get right isn't it because you want them to feel valued you want them to feel like they've done a job that they've been paid and deserved but at the same Mm. time everything's on the shoestring budget with everyone pulling and making it tighter as you're working and it's it's impossible to juggle it is it is more but there does need to be some kind of passing the elevator back down and support indie film because if they don't we're going to be um squeezed out because just Obviously, investment in film is very, very difficult because the return on investment in indie film or any film is usually quite slow. So, you know, there's a price point that's a sweet spot for investors. So if we can't bring the money in because before we even get to um, production, the the crew is outweighing what we can get back for our investors, you're just not going to get investment. And I think the great thing about independent film, which we need to remember is we get to tell stories that perhaps studios don't. We get to give people an opportunity to step up in their chosen roles that they wouldn't have on on massive budget films. So I do think we've got a place. Of course, I'd say that because I'm an indie producer. but, But it's true. It really is. And I think there needs to be something done done to try and support us during this this changing landscape at the moment while cinemas recoup and you know kind of lick their wounds after the the damage that covid has caused and and also why the the streamers settle down because of course the studios have realized they can save an awful lot of pna and go straight onto the streamers and boom you're making great money so why would the streamers choose a little indie when they can have gerald butler or straight onto their platform and not have to wait for the window i mean it's I don't I don't know how things will settle, but I hope they do soon. But any studio that wants to listen to your podcast and give us some money would be so gratefully received. That would be great, definitely. <laughs> We're so, not asking much. No, indie, indie film is my favourite. And I'm not just saying because I'm talking to you. I've done, you know, 200 episodes and people know my film taste and stuff like the British films that come along now and then, these gems, stuff like Submarine that yeah. is just a masterpiece. I recently watched one called Brian and Charles, which I thought was incredible. And there's these indie films that just get through and just start to get noticed. And when they do, all I ever think to myself is, I wish it wasn't so... I wish it was more frequent. I wish I was finding about these films every yeah. few weeks, not every six months. And hearing you today and how much work goes in and how much of a team it needs and how much hard work and hours are put in, it's just slightly depressing because all I want is for people to succeed more. I want to see these companies like film for investing in these films and giving us more because all we get at the moment, and you know, this is fast and furious 26 and a rehash of Indiana Jones again. And I understand it makes money, but I, I really feel that there should be this platform of just a whole indie world where we're getting more of these gems coming through because they're just magical and that they these Hollywood films don't give us that. No, well, I love studio films. You know, last night I watched the second half of the four-hour DC film. I, I love them. I, I am the person that will go and watch Spider-Man and X-Men and all of those. But 
you, you talk, it's almost like a different industry, that kind yeah, of it is. Side. And, you know, if you think of Coda, I read a beautiful article about Coda. I mean, Coda, did, they went into, I think it was Toronto, wasn't it? Or, or the festival that they did very well. They didn't even, she, she was just saying, I really just hope we can sell our film. And then came away with a 24 million Apple, <laughs> Apple deal, you know. That's that insane. was an independent film at its best. Yeah. That was studio backed. And so, you know, th- this is where indie producers like me, many years down the line, aspire to be, but we're not going to be able to grow and develop if we're not helped at the, at, at, you know, the grassroots level. And I don't know what the answer is. I really don't, because I still feel like a child in this producing independent world. And, I, and you're right, I do have a real thirst for it and an excitement about it. I just, you know, my business partner, if he sees emails, you'll see the end of my signature. It says something like, you know, I often email at the weekends and late. Life work balance is really important. Doesn't mean to say you have to do that, but it's just because I love it and I don't feel like I'm working. I just feel like I want to get to the next phase. But it's tough. It is tough. And even selling a film, you know, um, the bigger sales agents now because it's hard. It's hard because the streamers do want those big names. So how, how do you, how do you, how can you become a small indie that can't afford the big names and still break f- through? That's a twenty million. If you ever find if anyone knows, yeah. If you're no, listening right no. now, email us in. Yeah, I mean, Mark at markandme.com, you know. Absolutely. Please let me know. I mean, stranger, you know, it's an ensemble. There's, there's no kind of Hollywood legend in there. So, you know, we're hoping that the fact it's a psychological thriller and it's based on a US Today bestselling book is is a, is a uh, you know, tick box in yeah. itself. But you never know. You, you, you make these films and blood, sweat and tears and, and you, you think you've done a great job, but you, you never know until it goes out there. <laughs> It's 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 an amazing world to be in, and mm. you know to hear how much passion you've got and drive is honestly it's it's beautiful to listen to, and I think people listening today, hopefully, will will go out there and check this film out. But if they don't, we'll give indie more of a chance. Um, you know, to go and see them in the cinema isn't easy. Um, no, they they don't put them on. If you're lucky in London, they might put it on for an opening weekend, and that's it because they would rather have 10 screens showing the brand new blockbuster. But if you can go to those Prince Charles cinemas or those independent cinemas that show these films, do because it's the only way we're going to get people to carry on making them. You you are absolutely right, actually, in what you've said. And that's never more pre- prevalent than now because the big multiplexes did use to allocate it you know, one, two screens for indie. But of course, everyone's trying to recover after the co- after the COVID, after COVID. And so they're going to fill their screens with what brings an audience in. I get it. But, but the Prince Charles and the Curzon, yeah. all really great independent chains, picture house, in order for them to survive and indie film to survive, then they, they need an audience. And, and I, I really hope that people recognise that and, and go and see it. It's a completely different experience. I, I always watch films I want to watch in the cinema, apart from the fact I'm going a little bit deaf, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and I can hear everything crystal clear. Uh, the joy of getting older, Mark. I've got all this to come. <laughs> yeah, well, you have. You're quite a few years behind me, but you don't, you're, you're aging like a fine wine, darling. That's okay, then. 
And, <laughs> and my, my final question for you today, and what I do on this podcast, and I've had over 200 episodes now, I've had actors on like Mads Mikkelsen, Kevin Smith, Anthony Hopkins, I've had directors wow. on, um, I've had all different people on from all different walks of life. But the same question is the final question to everyone. And what I get to do, Terry, is I ask you for the final piece of music that you would like played on the podcast. So after this interview is all edited and it's all done, it's a final song that can be played and everyone chooses something different. And it can be a reason that it's their favorite song. It was a song at one of their friend or family's birthday or funerals, or it's just a song that means something to them. But when I ask you the question... Yeah. What's the song that you love that you think would be the perfect song for our discussion today on this podcast and closes this interview perfectly? I'm going to choose something that is very meaningful because I feel like our discussion has been very meaningful. Definitely. I lost my parents quite young and my dad loved the um, cardigan song, Love Me, Love Me. Amazing. And a year before he died, I I spent a whole journey to London, from Leicester to London with him, playing it on loop. (laughs) And I actually hated it at the time. But now when I hear it, it really moves me and brings me to tears. So it's not necessarily something that I would go out and dance to. No, but but it's got some meaning. It's got a huge amount of meaning to it. And it just makes me remember all the amazing things about my dad, who was my hero. That's beautiful. And do you know what? I've not heard that song for about 20 years. I remember going to something like V Festival back in the, I don't oh my even want to know. V? Yeah, <laughs> 2002 or ni- whenever it was. And they played. And I remember literally everyone was just like, play that one song, play that one song. And they obviously yeah. save it till the end. But that was a huge, huge song. Amazing chorus and just beautiful. Beautiful. And I haven't heard it for a long time. So I would be delighted if you played that out for me. Amazing. It's been honestly an absolute pleasure to speak with you today. I never knew where this conversation was going to go. And the best thing is it's just gone everywhere and covered so many different topics. But I feel like we've just scratched the surface. I think like we could talk for hours. And let's do that again at some point because Definitely. I do enjoyed uh, yeah watching. i would welcome you back anytime you want and we could do like a two-hour oh. special and hopefully by then you've produced your third film and you're even more excited and who knows where it goes but honestly we could do an agony aunt and uncle section couldn't we definitely <laughs> then we right could put in right yeah that's it be great but i really appreciate your time today uh, i'm looking forward to everyone seeing this film i'm looking forward to the response thank you very much mark thank you have a great rest of the day and thanks again So there it is. There's my interview with me and the amazing Terry Dwyer. Such a great guest. So open, so honest and gave us a real insight to her background. And I love that she doesn't hide away from that. It got really deep and I felt we could have talked for hours and I did say that on the interview. So I really do look forward to the day that Terry comes back on the podcast and we get to talk like this all over again. As I said at the start of today's interview, we focus today on the release of The Stranger in Our Bed. This film is out now and I urge you all to go and check it out. If you do and you enjoy it, please let me know on any of my social media channels. The best thing that I can do on this podcast is recommend an album, a book or a film and then you guys go and check it out and fall in love with it. I see loads of tweets from people that do this and it means the world when I see it. If you've really enjoyed today's episode with Terry, all I ask you to do is go onto Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Share the episode on your networks and it really does go a long way. 
You might think it doesn't, but hitting that retweet button means everyone on your list will then see it, and they might jump on board and fall in love with Mark and me and then become a fan and listen to every episode. And that, for me, is a dream come true. It doesn't cost anything for you guys to do at home and really goes a long way. All the links are on markandme.com, and also on there is a link to my Patreon page. The podcast cannot survive unless it's supported by my Patreons. If you're completely new to Patreon, what it is is a way of you giving back each and every month. You can sign up for as little as £1 a month, and for that you're guaranteed a minimum of 8 episodes. Not only that, thanks to my amazing friends at Richer Sounds, I give prizes away each and every month to say thank you for supporting me. You'll get Patreon-only episodes starting this month, you'll get some badges as soon as you sign up, some stickers, and some amazing rewards throughout the year. It really does go a long way, and you might think, oh, it's only a pound, but don't go and buy that can of Coke, don't go and buy that coffee, support me, and honestly, I will make sure that I deliver you the best episodes that I can. I'll be back in only a few days with a brand new episode, and it's a huge one. For me personally, it's someone that I've wanted since I started the podcast, and I can't wait to share it with you all. So until then, look after yourself, take care, watch The Stranger in Our Bed, and I'll speak to you all very soon. (music) 